the wise. Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, What are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep, day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you, and it's good to have the chance to share from the Word of God. I do just have one or two slides that will tie in a little bit with what I want to share about in the passage. If we could uh, move the pictures through to the one on Kenya, please. Uh, Just keep moving till you come to Kenya. Oh, yes, I can see it down there. Yes, uh, Kenya is obviously uh, facing a very, very tough time. Uh, They have a rerun of their presidential election on the 26th, 28th. Uh, I've heard two dates, so uh, it's around about that time. 
but uh, you know that they're having the rerun because there was uh, a complaint by the opposition. They felt things were not done properly. And uh, there's no guarantees at all without the Lord's hand that the same thing could happen again. Uh, Kenya people seem to be uh, reasonably placid in the bane, but in some areas quite the opposite. And uh, certainly there are strongholds where there can be lots of violence. And we have friends uh, in Kibera, which is where, again, there was rioting after the previous election in Kasumu, around uh, in the Mombasa area. So it will be good to pray. We've just read a passage about the uncertainty of life and things that are happening that we don't understand. Uh, Kenya really needs our prayers as they come to this new election. But it's also the place where we have about 15 groups who wait uh, every month to receive a message via the telephone. So always when you see the devil working, when you see violence, unrest, tribalism, God is also working. If we can move to the Liberia one. Uh, Yes, in Liberia. This is a new friend, Pastor Emmanuel Davis. One of the privileges of getting to know people Uh, certainly as friends on a relationship basis as opposed just to contacts, numbers in a book, whatever. Uh, This dear pastor was in touch with me and he said, please pray for me because he said, uh, this is the last uh, week, fortnight, he said, I had a 27-year-old lady who suddenly died and then within a few days a 7-year-old girl who died of malaria. And when pastors have to stand before their congregations and handle uh, untimely death, death which uh, was was totally unexpected, it's not an easy thing. But in in Liberia, of course, with all their other problems, recovering after the uh, upheaval, rioting and all the things going on there, uh, here's someone trying to serve God, trying to preach the gospel. I was able to bring something to him the Sunday after Uh, they buried uh, these young people. And uh, it's good to encourage people to come alongside. You don't have answers, but you can encourage them. And just one more, if we can move to Sierra Leone. Are we able to move to Sierra Leone? (laughs) Don't worry if we can't. Okay, well, let me just tell you something about Sierra Leone uh, just very briefly before we come to the passage. Uh, Sierra Leone, you probably again are aware if you follow the news, uh, some years ago, civil war, it was the place where they terrorized the uh, people by threatening to remove arms and legs. There it is, Sierra Leone, and that's our friend, Pastor Emmanuel. And then, of course, they had the Ebola crisis, which was, again, a a terrible thing. Uh, In order to come to church on a Sunday, uh, what they did was that they they made a a strict measurement of how people could sit, a distance between one person and the next person, because they still wanted to meet together to praise the Lord. Uh, But you know that that was an awful, awful time. Mothers not being able to cuddle their babies, uh, they had to just stand back and let them die. 
But also in Sierra Leone, you know recently, there was this awful mudslide. And uh, I, I have been with a friend in that sort of area, and the mud just slid down and buried four or five hundred people. And in the midst of that, and this is all in the context of the passage we're looking at, in the midst of that, uh, there was at least one church that had gathered to pray all the way through the night. And they were in their church and they were praying and uh, they ended up the prayer meeting in heaven. They were all swamped by the mudslide. The pastor and I heard 82 people suddenly swept into eternity. Now you can see why there's a bit of a relevance there, a bit of a link there with whatever is going on in the life of the writer of Ecclesiastes. We're going to pray once more. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we thank you that you have called us to a solid faith. You've called us to stand on rock but while we stand on the rock that is Christ, we watch many other things swirling around us, things happening in our world, even in our personal world, that we cannot easily explain. But Lord, we're coming to you to just look at your word and we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to see truth from you that would actually help us. And we also pray for your help for me as I speak because we're looking to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you've, you're into your series, so you've undoubtedly heard some things about the background to Ecclesiastes. It is a fascinating book in many ways because it's a very earthy book. You, you don't feel that you're in a romantic situation. Uh, you, you really know that you're touching issues that touch life. One of the things that uh, we don't know for sure, but one of the things that is probably also going on is that Solomon, who wrote the book, is at a stage in his spiritual life which is not really the best. He's had his highs, he's had times in his life when, for instance, uh, he's about to be king and uh, he sees the size of the task and he just cries to God, Lord, I would love to have wisdom so that I can lead your people aright. What you've presented to me after David, my father, is just enormous. It overwhelms me. I just can't think, how can I do it? Please help me. And uh, God, we know, responds to Solomon in a wonderful, gracious way and says, you could have asked for riches, you could have asked for long life, you could have asked for so many things, but in fact, you have asked for the ability to lead my people properly. And therefore, I will give you that wisdom and I'll also give you long life and I'll also give you many, many other things. And I guess at that point, his life is on a spiritual high. Uh, he's been entrusted with the task of building the temple, which David, his father, was not allowed to do. David was allowed to make preparations, but he was not allowed to build it. He'd been a man of war. And so Solomon is giving that responsibility. And there's that day when the temple, is, as it were, is officially opened and the glory of God comes down. 
I just wonder, we don't know again for sure, but in those early verses, a person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance, the glory of God coming down, the presence of God coming down, certainly changes the way that people look. When Moses was on the mountain and he was before the Lord, his face began to shine incredibly brightly. We know that even our Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, his face shines so brightly as he's there in the presence because the Father is going to speak into that situation, acknowledging, affirming his sonship, and there's Moses and Elijah there for good measure as well. It's an incredibly glorious time. Wisdom certainly makes a difference to how you look. Not too many people who are moving in wisdom and exercising wisdom look miserable because wisdom is something that lightens the heart. It's something that gives a direction. It gives clarity. There's not confusion in wisdom. And I guess that there were points in Solomon's life, but perhaps not at this moment of time, when uh, wisdom is something that he's experiencing, the presence of God, the glory of God. But then he he wants to move into, uh, I suppose in some ways, uh, a fairly mundane matter, but an important matter, and that is how to live before the king. And uh, he's conscious that obviously in life there can be rebellions, there can be lack of protocol. People don't seem to know the right thing to do and the right time to do it. And he deigns to give some advice about coming into the presence of the king. Now, of course, in in some cultures, in some societies, protocol is ever so important. And you need to observe that protocol. For example, if I was preaching in a church in Nigeria, you would not uh, leave the seat to go into the pulpit and carry your Bible. Now, I'm I'm not troubled about I carried my Bible here, by the way. But uh, what you would have to do is you surrender your Bible to someone who will then carry it and place it upon uh, the, the, the pulpit so that you can then preach from it. And there are all sorts of other things. Uh, for example, again, uh, one of the cultures is that when you finish the meeting, you disappear. You don't go and mingle with the people. You don't go and talk to them. You are the man of God. You've come among them and you deliver your message, and then you get right out of it, and no one else is allowed to come near. Well, all of these different protocols, we have protocols. Uh, For instance, a few years ago, I wrote a letter to the Queen. It was around about uh, 2011, uh, several hundred years, not 100, 400 years, after the authorised version, and uh, in her Queen's speech, she said some very positive things about the Word of God, But what I decided was, was I wanted to write to her. I wanted to thank her and to acknowledge that it was good that she was lifting up the word of God uh, on that particular occasion in a very special way. But there's a protocol, did you know, as to how you write to the Queen. You can just write, dear Queen, but that may not get very far. It's important to learn how to do it. You do it in the right way and then you will be heard. And we know that uh, although these things may seem a bit distant from us, there there is wisdom. For instance, verse 6, there's a proper time and procedure for every matter. 
And I believe that as Christians, we do, we do well to, to heed that. It's not that we want to get into legalism. We have a gracious God who receives us freely because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. We can come into his presence. We can call him Father and we can relax in his presence, though he's holy, almighty, all-powerful. And yet we know there's always a need for respect and honour. And it's absolutely imperative that we appreciate his holiness, his purity, and his utter righteousness. But in terms of proper time and procedure, we know that we need to learn to find ways into the presence of God that we can really benefit. You can't just, as it were, uh, go without preparation. It's good. It's good when we come to church to prepare our hearts. We don't necessarily have to do it all in the same way, but to come with a sense of, Lord, prepare my heart so that I can receive from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today. Would you touch my life so that I'm in a place when I can listen, when I can grasp what you want to say to me. And if we believe that God speaks to us as we gather together, if we believe that we're coming into his wonderful presence, then it does make sense that we get ourselves into a place to maximise the opportunity and to really benefit from time before him. But then the, the writer moves into the whole area of, of uncertainty, the fact that we don't really know what will happen next. Those believers who gathered in Sierra Leone, gathered to pray and seek the Lord, they had no idea that would be the last prayer meeting they'd ever be in. They had no idea that before the prayer meeting ended, they would all be ushered into eternity. And it's important, since no one knows the future, uh, there is a sense of, of trusting God about that. We don't always want to know everything that's going to happen. God protects us in the sense that he doesn't want us consulting uh, astrologers or uh, people who read our palms or anything like that. The Bible forbids that and says that's dangerous, that's unhelpful. And so not knowing the future is not meant to be a disadvantage it's actually something that God has built in there for us. He will tell us what we need to know when we need to know it. You may have heard of Corrie ten Boom, and there's a lovely little story when she's a tiny girl, and uh, she's talking to her father about getting ready for heaven. And uh, her father, a wise and uh, wonderful Christian man, he gives her a picture, and he says, Corrie, do you know what happens when we go on a train? He says, when do I give you your ticket? The ticket is purchased, he has it. When do I give you the ticket for your journey on the train? And she said, well, Father, you give it to me just as I'm about to board the train. Just as I'm about to get onto the train, that's when you give me my ticket. And that's when the father said to her, and when it is your time, when it is your time to leave this life and to go into heaven, God will give you the grace, God will give you the help, God will give you the strength, God will give you the courage just when you need it. And therefore you don't have to worry about it. Yes, you, you need to get ready. I suppose you could use the analogy, you need to buy the ticket, you need to know 
that you've received Jesus as your saviour. But when that moment comes, we don't know when that day will be. We can't work it out. We don't want to work it out. But we are absolutely confident that God knows and because he knows, we will trust him and he will give us the grace when we need it. And therefore, you don't have grace in advance. You do have grace here and now, but grace for what you need in another situation that you may or may not have to face, that grace will be there just when you need it. Then he begins to share with us, the writer, something of the whole dynamic and dilemma and and the uncertainty and the difficulty of how things just don't seem to be logical. For example, he says things like, well, there are times when the righteous, uh, they seem to suffer and the wicked seem to prosper. And I guess if you spoke to him colloquially, he'd say, I just don't get, I don't get it. I don't understand that. How is it that these people are doing wicked things and yet this, that and the other is opening up for them? And here's somebody who's doing the right thing, who's being righteous, who's obeying God, who's following the Scriptures, and, and it all seems to go wrong for them. What's going on? How, how is that? Well, please don't look to me for an answer because I can't actually give you an answer. But what we see in the word of God and uh, I believe Solomon in his heart of hearts, the man who received wisdom from God he knows that simply it's all in God's hands I I can see reflections as I was studying and looking at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, you can see reflections in terms of the life of Job and all of the things that he handles we cannot understand everything that's happening around us We certainly cannot understand how sometimes those who are dedicated to evil seem to have such success. You know, if you talk to uh, people in ISIS, you talk to people in some of the other uh, groups that are arranging terrorism, they don't seem to be short of the ability to raise funds. And then we see other people who have incredibly worthy causes really struggling. How can we get the funds to pay for this and that? You think, look what they're doing with all of this money that they're raising. Look at the evil. Look at the planning. Look at the meticulous way in which they organize themselves to do this and that. Never seem to be short of the resources to do it. It is not easy to understand. Ecclesiastes doesn't actually give us an answer. But what it does say, and I love this little phrase towards the end of the chapter, because the beginning, the brightening of the face, well, that sounded okay. The middle bit of the chapter, I was looking at it and feeling, well, that looks pretty depressing. That's not very easy to talk about or work out. But then there's a little phrase in verse 17, which I feel is ever so helpful. We read this. Then I saw all that God has done. Now, again, I can't be sure what's in the uh, mind of Solomon as he's writing that, but, but I think that is very inspired. I think that's a ray of light 
in the darkness of all of the things that are being talked about. You know, the wicked seemingly to get away with it. And then, of course, he does say at times, the wicked will be punished and the length of their days will be numbered. Uh, He knows that it's all a bit of a conundrum, really. You you can't easily work it out. But, But he says this, Then I saw all that God has done. I believe that in the depth of his being, he has some understanding of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. God has not fallen asleep. The night those people met to pray in Sierra Leone, God was not asleep. He was very awake. The night that uh, all sorts of things that we could quote from our newspapers recently or whatever, disasters, tragedies, all manner of situations that seem to fall upon people suddenly our our daughter-in-law just uh, the Friday gone she had news in the afternoon that her father had died she knew he wasn't particularly well she had no idea that uh, she was going to get a call that day we were with her in the morning no sense of anything going to happen no sense of anything going to go wrong suddenly at about 54 years of age He's taken, he's gone. But there is this word, then I saw all that God has done. God is aware, God is working. God has his plans. God has in his heart good things that he has prepared for those who love him. And in the midst of the need for good protocol, in the midst for the opportunity to seek wisdom that puts some light upon our faces, in the midst of not understanding how things go wrong, why things go wrong, why some people seem to have an easy ride and others seem to be dogged almost at every turn, we have this utter, utter rock that we rest on. God is working out his purposes. All things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. When our lives are in God's hands, whatever appears to happen that we cannot explain, we have this absolute certainty that we have an eternity before us which will never ever see some of the mess that's described in this chapter. In the heavenly sphere, there is no unrighteousness, there is no sin, there is no sickness, there is no suffering. In the eternity that is before us, is light, perpetual light, continual. There is no darkness whatsoever. I don't know exactly what Solomon meant when he quoted this phrase but when I look in the context of wider scripture I see that we have a God who understands suffering more than anyone you know sometimes people ask me how can God send people to hell sometimes people will say why does God allow all these terrible things to happen I cannot answer in detail but I can direct people to the cross. This is what God has done. See what God has done. He allowed his son.
to come into this world. He allowed his son to be beaten, to be humiliated, to have the very hairs plucked from his beard, to have a crown of thorns thrust upon his head, to be whipped and beaten so that his face could scarcely be recognized. He allowed his son to be placed upon a cross for hours where he gave up his life for us. He allowed his son to be separated from him. If you have any, any concept of what hell must be like, the nearest that I can understand is to hear those words from Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe Jesus in that moment was in hell, separated from God. When I see what God has done, it does not make it easy to comprehend and take on board all of the things happening in our world that I do not really understand and if they were impacting me directly, if I was in the middle of a flood, if I was on the, in the hill when that mudslide came down, we're not pretending that we just sort of look at it and shake our shoulders. But what I do know is that our God came into our world and in the person of the Lord Jesus suffered, died, took our sin, took our hell, took the punishment we deserve so that one day we could be in a place entirely different to the world that we live in now. That's not escapism. That's not just burying your head in the sand. That is also a glorious, wonderful reality. Christ died for our sins. We said it in the creed. He rose on the third day. He is coming again. And in him, whatever is happening, we will put our trust. Let's pray. Father, I, I just want to particularly pray this morning for those who are going through a particularly hard and difficult time. They see what is happening. I ask that you will open their eyes open all of our eyes to see what you, the Lord, have done. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And Father, as we've come into your house, if there are those among us who have not yet personally found you to be their rock and their saviour, would you draw them even this morning to the cross, to the place where you suffered so that we could be saved and have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.